listen to this statistic. Only 30% of your technology projects are actually going to succeed. So if we flip that around, that means that 70% of your projects are probably going to fail. Now, if you want to do something about that, you can. You can increase that probability of success. And we're going to talk about today technical expertise no longer being enough. Project managers need more than just the technical expertise and those hard skills to lead their teams. In order to stop their projects from failing and to have your project succeed, we need some soft skills. We need strong soft skills. Uh, but what are those skills? What are those soft skills and how do we put them into practice? Well, keep listening to today's podcast about social intelligence. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben Aston. I'm the digital project manager. And I want to thank you for joining this first ever video cast that we're doing. We're on a mission to help digital project managers succeed, to help digital project managers get more confident, get skilled and get connected. And if you want to find out more about that, head to the digitalprojectmanager.com where you can find out all about our online training and resources that we offer through our membership. So today I'm joined by Kim Watson and Kim has worked in various different software organizations including IBM, uh, eBay that you've probably heard of before and now she's a consultant. She consults as Ivy Bay if you want to check her out and she offers consulting services for project managers and program managers and really she's trying to help project managers succeed. She's trying to help Projects stop failing the whole time. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about project failure. We're going to talk about her book, which I have here with me. And it's called The Socially Intelligent Project Manager. Soft skills that prevent hard days. And we all want to prevent hard days. So I think this is going to be a good conversation. So hello, Kim, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I'm curious just to understand a bit more about uh, kind of your day job. Obviously, you've just written a book, which is great. Uh, but in terms of uh, the Ivy Bay consulting that you do, helping project managers succeed and uh, coaching people, what does that, yeah. what does your day job look like? Uh, it's 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 varied. <laughs> I, I still do work with clients and do project management and I do a lot of work with startups trying to get past basically the chasm where everybody's a hero and into to doing projects. And that's that's a lot of what I'm doing right now, sometimes big companies. And I do a lot of coaching for project managers, both new project managers and more experienced project managers. Um, it's it's a broad range. But um, I mean, some of it's on the process side, especially new project managers, right? They don't know all the pieces. Um, more experienced project managers, it's usually the people side that's giving them trouble. So yeah, so I'm interested in that kind of startup environment that you're talking about, which I think everyone thinks is super exciting. Uh, maybe things are a bit fast and loose. Uh, but what do you find is what are the kind of typical challenges that uh, these startups or younger organizations have in kind of getting things to actually happen, getting things out the door? Um, things at the start at the beginning of startup, everybody's a hero. Right. I mean, that's they get things done through heroes and it's it's a hard thing to to back out of. Everything's moving fast. People feel like they don't have time for processes and then they suck up a whole lot of time trying to coordinate with each other once they get you know past the point where that's that's actually anything like scalable. Um, so that's the biggest problem, really, is getting people to stop long enough to, to coordinate a little bit. I don't come in with a huge amount of process. I can grow. 
come in with processes, but but actually getting that first toehold. The company that I'm working with now, one of the managers, <laughs> I got on the phone with him and he said, you know, I, I really didn't like this process stuff when I was told we were going to do it, but boy, this is really helping. I want to do more of this stuff. There's <laughs> nothing like a convert to help you get through that. Yeah, I think process process is so often seen as a blocker to delivery. It's like, well, hey, if we, you know, we're getting stuff done, we're, you know, everyone's burning the midnight oil and, you know, we're, we're seeing some movement and they mistake movement as success, not realizing the inefficiency of the way that they're working. So I think, yeah, that to start with, implementing some process can be, can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And a lot of the, the, that's one of the places that the people management, you know, the people side of stuff really comes in because I have to convince them that they can take a breath and, <laughs> you know, and talk about what they're doing instead of just diving in. Yeah. So. And so I mean, let's talk about that. How do you coach project managers or people who manage projects who maybe feel like, you know, the delivery team doesn't doesn't maybe want your uh, input, particularly you've been brought in there. <laughs> but what does what does good coaching look like? How do you how do you help people realize, um, have that kind of light bulb moment that, oh, I maybe there is a better way of doing this? Usually I co- cover some groundwork first. So they have a few tools because it's a lot easier, I find, for people, especially really process-oriented project managers, to have something that feels like process to work with people, which you know, it's like nailing jello to a tree, right? I mean, it just, it just keeps moving around. But um, lay some groundwork, and then I have them come in with problems, whatever is on their mind. And we start to talk through how we can apply the tools and what I've seen and what they think will work in their environment. And usually, one or two times of that and having it actually work is is pretty motivating, right? People, people are listening because you're talking to them in a way that that they can take in easily. I mean, and so you mentioned tools there. Um, what are the what are the kind of tools that you're talking about? Um, there are a few that that are my favorites. Uh, learning styles are one of my absolute favorite tools. So that's um, that everyone takes in information in in a lot of different ways, but but everyone has one that's easiest for them out of five major ones. And so once you figure out whether the phone call is going to do it or they don't want to see you. They just want to answer your email or, you know, you got to draw a picture or they're not going to read something. Once you figure that out, then you can tailor your communications to each of the individual people. And we all go for what's easiest, right? We're all really busy. So if you can communicate with someone in a, the way that's most comfortable for them to take in, you, you go to the top of their list because you're easy. Good stuff. And so, I mean, that's just a a tool that uh, we can we can use in our own teams uh, as project managers. Um, if, so for anyone who's listening and thinking, hey, communication with my team seems to be tough or people seem to be ignoring me. People aren't using the, chan- the channels that I want them to use. I think a communication plan can be helpful, but understanding people's um, styles that they like to communicate can be super helpful uh, in making sure that we're communicating with people in the way that they want to be communicated to. So that's that's super helpful. And now I always like to ask people who come on um, in terms of software, uh, project management software, if there's any what any anything that they found recently that they thought was super helpful or useful or innovative uh, have you discovered anything recently that uh, piqued your interest 
Not a lot. I mean, people are obviously video conferencing. All my all my years of video conferencing is good have finally come back, right? Because we're we're all learning all of the video conferencing tools, and those are really helpful. Um, I did find something recently. Um, I found two tools, little tools, little free tools. Um, one is called Menti. And you know the surveys, like when you do a, when I'm in a conference, I love to do surveys, ask a question, and then people can answer, you know, without fear, right? Because they're just typing it in on their phone. So that's a fun thing so that you can, you can get people's opinions without them being afraid to speak up because you don't know who's, you know, you give them some choices. And the other is, a pad, is called Padlet, and it's, it's like a sticky note board. So you can have everybody putting stuff up and commenting and different, it, it's a really slick easy thing to use. So, so for the situation we're in now, particularly where everybody, everybody is managing remotely, um, those those are two tools that I've really, um, I'm really enjoying. Yeah, they, those sound like interesting tools. And I like the way that, I mean, these are tools that democratize the conversation. And I think so often in, um, well, video conferencing, it and in this kind of remote world work that we're working with right now, um, it, it, I think it favors people who are louder and more verbose. Um, so, yeah, tools that can help democratize that conversation and give people an opportunity con- to contribute, um, perhaps when they are not so uh, comf- confident or comfortable about speaking out, I think is super, super, ha- yeah. super useful. Getting all your team bought in, feeling you know like they're part of the team. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So Kim has written an awesome post and you can check it out on the digitalprojectmanager.com. The post is called How to Avoid and Survive Catastrophic Project Failure. Um, I don't know if you listeners have had much catastrophic project failure. I certainly have. Um, but the, project, the post itself outlines some basics for avoiding project failure um, and managing risk. And then dives into surviving the project failure. What do you do when you when you realize your project is failing? Uh, and there's this really clear eight-point action plan for getting your project back on track at that point that you realize uh, that things are way off track. So you can find the post. Uh, we'll, we'll stick that in the show notes and you'll find it on the Digital Project Manager. But in the conversation today, I want to take uh, this conversation, I guess, a level up a bit and talk about the traits we need as project managers or people managing projects uh, to put this project failure avoidance and process into action. And this is a topic that Kim has written about in her book. Um, I'll show you again. It's the, called The Socially Intelligent Project Manager. It's soft skills that prevent hard days. Um, but I mean, let's talk about this, this book to start with. I mean, what made you uh, want to write the book in the first place? It, really, I, I'm kind of enamored with the whole people side of things. I started out like most project managers with the whole, I could do Gantt charts and if everybody would just do their job, we would be good. I shouldn't have to nag, but but we all know if we didn't have to nag, we wouldn't even have jobs, right? I mean, that's that's a part of it is reminding people what it is that they're supposed to do. And as I started to kind of coalesce, especially with with the consulting on on you know what do I do that other people really aren't doing, it was this. Um, and so I started the coaching. I mean, I just I really like the topic, and I feel like as project managers, it's really been ignored. And that's, that's, our job is getting things done through people. So without the people, we don't have a project. Um, So, so 
I want to I want to share it. I want I like people to be happy. I like to work around happy people, right? And that's that's one of the things that drew me to this. Um, and I, I think the industry really needs it. And then a, I, I I was speaking on it at a PMI conference and a publicist of it, but Amy. So that's kind of the was the gen. It it was important to me, not important enough to try to self publish because that's really hard. But um, but when I had the opportunity, I absolutely jumped at it because I I just like I said I feel like. I feel like it's needed, and I, I wanted to get out of the theory, which which I do understand. Um, but it, it, theory's nice, but it doesn't help you get the job done. So I really wanted to do a baseline theory, and then here are the tools. Yeah, and I think that's what's so great about the book. It's a very practical. Uh, it's a it's a great practical guide. Um, that's yeah, not full of theory and documentation. You need to create and process to follow in a, in the heavy sense, but more of a, a kind of a guide. Um, <clears throat> but I want to kind of talk about this. I mean, everyone's heard, I think, probably about emotional intelligence. I think what you don't hear about so much is this idea of social intelligence. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about social versus emotional intelligence. You've obviously written about social intelligence. Um, Emotional intelligence, EQ, is, is very popular. Uh, but, but what does uh, yeah, social intelligence, SQ, look like to you? And why do you think it's important for project managers? Um, well, as I go through it, so I, the same person did the, the research on both of them, and some of the same research was used. So the emotional intelligence is, is really, you know, it's part of what's in the book. It's the one-on-one stuff it's what you initiate but the social intelligence is more networking and the connections between people and for project managers we need the emotional intelligence we need to set up our our relationships with the people that we're working with but we need to get our team to be functional and that's understanding and managing the connections amongst the members of the team as well as as our own one-on-one outwardly driven um, focus on our individual team members yeah and i think that's it is so true that yeah, most project management theory assume, <laughs> assumes the team is just a something that, that functions. And um, there's not a lot of emphasis really on, on what you're talking about, which is, you know, as the PM, we're so often for uh, enabling conversations to happen. And I always find it surprising, you know, when you have to say, have you spoken to so-and-so about this? <laughs> right. And they have, no, they haven't talked to me yet. And it's like, well, have, why, why, why don't we go and talk to them? <laughs> and it's amazing how, how many times a day as a project manager, that is your job, is to enable a conversation to happen. And it might, sound, it might feel like you're babysitting and it might feel like, hey, people should be able to do this themselves. But actually, as the project manager, I kind of think of it as this kind of hub and spoke. You don't want actually, well, you don't want all conversations uh, and communication to flow through you. But uh, as that kind of hub, we're the one that enables it and facilitates it in some way, which I think is so important. Like where, where communication is happening on a team, that that team is going to be far more effective. Uh, but in your book, you talk about you need to know your team before you can motivate them and you, um, you have to motivate them before you can manage them. So there's a bit of this process, knowing them before you motivate them, motivating them before you can manage them. Um, so... I mean, tell us how, what, what you find works for knowing your team. How do you get to the point where you can, I mean, we've talked about learning styles. Um, are there any other tools that, that you use to, to help you 
kind of know your team? Absolutely. Yeah, the learning styles actually is kind of secondary because I have to know the individuals on my team before I understand their learning styles. So um, I spend time with them individually. I, I get a lot of um, gasps when I tell people I, I a minimum of half an hour every other week with each person on your team is, is what I recommend. And I try to do an hour a week, set it up where it's their time. That's not where they give you status. It's not where you tell them they're doing something wrong. It's not where you give them new tasks. It's where they tell you what is on their mind. And I have some leading questions, and I never let them get away with, I don't have anything to talk about, because it's never true. I mean, people are busy, and they think it's a waste of time, but it's where I get information and where I cement that relationship, and we build trust, and we start to get to know each other. So there really is no substitute for spending time with the people on your team, whether it's, I mean, now it's, it's all video and audio, but, um, but it makes a difference. And in this environment, I try to do it by video first, even for people who aren't really comfortable with that. So that just so that we have an idea of, of what we look like and how we speak and, and, um, can start to put tone of voice together with the expressions on people's face. So then you can go to audio and you actually understand what's going on with them. But that's, you know, that's the ongoing, you can trust me, I'm not going to tell people what you're telling me here. Um, if you have a problem with someone on the team, I'm not going to go tell them you know, that you said you had a problem. This is, this is where, you know, this is just your time to tell me what you want. So that's the first thing that I do. And then I, you know, stopping by when you can, when we are not in this environment, is usually the best way. If someone starts to do this, then you know you don't really want to show up in their office un unannounced. But in general, just stopping by without an agenda is a great way for if you have a new new team, it's just stopping by and saying hi and, you know, you want to go get some coffee or something that is not about, tell me your status. <laughs> you know? um, so that's the first step that is, is actually spending the time. You have to put in the time and you have to keep putting in the time. You establish a relationship, but they, they don't just stay steady state. You have to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I love this idea of um, connecting with people without an agenda. And I used to, um, I used to have, um, you know, scheduled walkies time, that's what I would call it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's walking the corridors, seeing who you bump into, and uh, being intentional about um, making kind of connections with people, like the water cooler connections, uh, but bumping into, deliberately bumping into people, um, I think can be can be super useful when we're just trying to, because as, as project managers, we need to understand where a project is at in order to lead the project in it, in, and in order to get that understanding. Yeah, we need that kind of those formal insights. But we also need those informal insights because they're going to inform things like uh, how we manage risk, how we manage uh, the team and deploy the resources that we have effectively. But I want to loop back to um, you, you mentioned leading questions. You have a few leading questions. I'm wondering if you could share any of the <laughs> leading questions you ask people um, when you're having those more intentional uh, meetings uh, where you're you know, just checking in with people. Um, what are some of the things that you ask them? Um I, um, well, sometimes they're just general. How are you feeling? How do you think the project's going? What do you think about the company? You're looking, you're looking at the market. If I've established a good relationship, I'll start with what did you do last weekend? Because that will lead into all kinds of interesting information. So I have a whole, just a whole list of general open-ended, you can't, <laughs> no yes or no, there are no yes or no answers for this, right? Uh, you can do, um, 
actually, I have a, I have a, a, a person that I've been coaching for years who came on this thing. I think of it as a mood ring, um, which is, you know, how are you feeling today? You know, are you cranky? Are you whatever? Just, you know, to, to get them talking about why they might be feeling the way that they're feeling, which might not have anything to do with work. But that's okay because that's still relationship building and trust and knowing what's going on with them and and whether you want to you know steer them clear of things that are going to to be non-productive in that mood. So I I think I I can't wait to try that one out. I I'm, she doesn't do mood ring, but I'm thinking I'm just going to send colors out to people. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you know just just open ended about about them. How are you feeling about this stuff? Or what did you do last weekend? Or Occasionally, I do the superhero question, you know, just if I haven't done it before. That's great. And I mean, the process you talk about is knowing people before that you can motivate them and then motivating them before you can manage them. So once we know them, you know, we've spent spent the time with our team. We're casually bumping into them. We are, you know, setting these regular meetings where we're getting to know them as people, getting to understand what motivates them, what's going on in their lives. Um, how do you how do you leverage that to find ways to motivate people uh, without throwing money at them? Oh, yeah, <laughs> or, money money uh, is not donuts. a great motivator. I mean, money it is a great motivator for a little tiny period of time. Although there was a study that said I think two years before it totally goes away. But when I was at IBM years ago, they did a study and they said that 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 the the increase in motivation and satisfaction that happens from a raise lasts for two to four pay periods. So so money, even if people are motivated by money, we don't have a whole lot of leeway as project managers to do that. So if, if that's the only thing that motivates them, then, you know, the best we can do is good reviews. But usually that's not really the top thing. Some people are motivated by teaching, for example. I know this is in my book, but and, and you want to give them somebody they can teach, whether somebody already knows something or not. And it's not that they think the person is stupid, but that's usually how the person that they're teaching takes it, right? So you, you want to watch people who do that, who are, who are constantly um, trying to impart new information and, and find ways to allow them to do that without annoying the rest of your team, right? Give them an intern, let them uh, research something new to present to the team, let them present somewhere outside the team. Um, so a lot of a lot of observation that that question about what did you do that gives you an enormous amount of information. You know, if they spent their weekend whitewater rafting and the next weekend they spent it rock climbing, you know that there's some adrenaline there, right? That you want to be able to give them. Um, if they are spending their weekends with family, probably you know some time off, a little bit of extra time off is a good thing. Let them go home. You know, <laughs> don't overload them so that they can't spend time with their family. So a lot of it, some of it's observation, and some of it is is um, is th- those kind of questions. So the more you get to know them, you just point your questions a little more. And the the, the hero exercise that I find really fun is, and it's fun to do in a group too, because then everybody gets to hear it. Is asking someone who's their hero, and that can be real or imagined, doesn't matter. Or if that makes them uncomfortable, who do you who do you admire, um, and why? And that gives you all kinds of stuff, you know, if, I mean, I, I've had the, you know, the Superman, Batman conversation with people where people who like Batman, a lot of times it's because 
he does it all himself. He's got no superpowers, right? He can just do it. And and Superman, you know, he's he's humble and he uses his powers for good and you know, it just but sometimes it's real people, right? And I I don't remember if it was in the book, the the James Gosling interview. That was insane to me. James Gosling was the inventor of Java language. He worked at Sun. I had friends working at Sun when I was getting my master's degree. So I I went to interview him for a project I had on my calendar um, and then just, you know, left work for an hour and went and interviewed him, came back and all these, it was Gen Xers at the time, they were waiting at my office door to hear what the great man had to say. And uh, if I hadn't already known them pretty well, that really would have told me that they, they want that, you know, the bleeding edge stuff. They want to change things and they admire people who can who can bring about that kind of a change. Um, so the hero exercise is actually a really good one to get to motivation in a fun way. That's cool. I mean, and what's your um, take on, there's obviously uh, a plethora of um, tests that people can do, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Enneagram. Um, do, do you ever use those with your teams as well um, to try and understand um, how to, yeah, what might motivate them or demotivate them? I do, but I use them cautiously. Um, and I find if I use it with one person on my team, everybody wants to do it. So that's a nice thing because it helps your team understand more about each other. But you have to be really careful not to pigeonhole people based on those tests, right? That's, that's you know, if you're, and if you're on the edge, I don't know if you've, how much, if you've done them. But like Myers-Briggs, I'm like right in the middle on two of them. And if I'm in a different mood, I can have a different result yeah. an hour later, right? People who pay clear to one end of, of, of scales typically don't change a whole lot. But it's a good conversation starter. It's a good way to to um, ask questions to help your team kind of get to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is ultimately, um, you know, going back to the, the point of this, which is which where we started, which is, hey, we want to be facilitating um, an enabling conversation to happen. Um, and kind of taking down the barriers. Uh, fundamentally, what we need to practice is the communication. So any way that we can do that and not rely on third-party tools to somehow um, provide a shortcut for us, I think is um, super important. Because even if we know, oh, okay, well, you're on Enneagram 5 or whatever it might be, that doesn't then tell me, <laughs> that doesn't actually tell me uh, what I need to communicate exactly to you it just means hey well you know you might have a tendency to look upon things maybe a bit more despondently than someone else but um uh hey it comes down to actually facilitating um that conversation so i mean going on to you know the point where we're managing people then we've we've understood um we we know our team we're understanding what motivates them i guess we're kind of getting on to them now managing people what what would you say are the secrets for you for managing a high performance team? What I mean, we've talked about communication, um, and I know I know in the book you talk about um, accountability. Um, but talk us through these kind of secrets for high performance. How do we how do we get our team to get to that next level of performance? There are actually a lot of tools available, but I think the underlying 
um, main piece of groundwork that I, I want to lay is that everybody on the team is important. If we didn't need them on the team, they wouldn't be on the team. The company wouldn't be paying for them on the team. So that means I need to listen to my intern just as much as I listen to my architect. They are all important. I need to show them. I need to believe it. I need to show them that. And I need to, to encourage that kind of behavior first. So the first thing is recognizing that everyone is important. So everyone has a part to play. Um, and teams really need to do that. One, one of my favorite, one of my favorite illustrations is this, uh, um, um, is a scene from the movie Stripes. It's an old movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a bunch of misfits in the army and, and they're going to have to go through basic training again if they can't do the exercises the next morning. And they're fighting. They're physically fighting. It's two in the morning and Bill Murray is, is the lead in this. And he manages not only to get them to stop fighting, but he finds common ground. He says, we're all stupid enough to join the army. Right? And and we're soldiers, right? We and then he he goes on to, who's seen the movie Old Yeller? Who cried when Old Yeller died? So suddenly all these guys are putting their hands up and, and they they have this common ground. We all cried when that dog died in Old Yeller, right? So that's probably not the common ground that we want to find, but but finding that common ground so that your team feels like they they're special, they're a group, um, team identity helps a whole lot once you know your team and see how they they work together you can use that for shirts and tchotchkes and headers on your reports and web pages and whatever like i the 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 ninja team of project managers who got in got out got in got out had lots of projects that they were juggling or were it wasn't that they were invisible but they worked so well that that everything ran smoothly um and so we could do all kinds of stuff with ninjas finish project get a little ninja um you know, it just uh, team identity is another big, big tool. But you have to you have to watch them work first. You can't just randomly pick something. Um, and um, let's see. So there was the team. It's personally personally important to me. Going back to the Google piece, um, that's the motivation, right? That's how you make it personally meaningful to each person. And there was a big piece on. We feel like we as a team can depend on each other. And we can float new ideas without embarrassment. So creating an environment, and that, that is really important. This is the whole team building, right? Not only do I build the trust individually, and that's kind of the emotional intelligence, but I work to have an environment where the people on the team can trust to do it. And, and that works within culture. I mean, when, I work with, when I work with the Eastern Ukraine, it's, it's, it was really jarring to begin with because they yell at each other in meetings <laughs> they they had a, a you know they have a blonde wig for whoever did something stupid and i'm like oh my god but but that's the culture and that's okay they do all that nobody cares it's good i haven't worked anywhere else where that's really really okay but um but still being able to trust so you got to teach everybody to be kind right but it's okay to point out where something could be better. There, there are a lot of moving pieces, but there are a lot of small tools that you can use and make small steps to get your team feeling like they are an entity. Um, they, you know, you don't want to make it so hard that nobody feels like they can break in and and be, you know, part of your team or work with it. But, but that common identity makes a huge difference because they're all and they're working toward the goal, right? So. You want a team, which is people working toward a goal. You do, you don't want a group be doing their own thing and which is everybody with a common interest. That's not where you're going. You you have a goal you're trying to get to. Yeah. 
what comes through for me is this idea that, uh, and I, I talk about this a lot, is the idea that actually as, as you're describing uh, this high-performing team, uh, you know, you're describing a unit of people who yeah, understand the vision, understand the goals, understand one another, are communicating effectively. There's a vision. Uh, people understand what they need to do to get there. Things, things are clear. There's clarity. Uh, there's unity. And I think so often um, we forget, I think, that project management is a leadership role. And in order to ha- for all these things to happen, in order for the for people to see the vision clearly, in, in order to create that team unit uh, where people feel like they're part of something, in order to, for people to know, you know, have clarity around those next steps, this all requires leadership. And I mean, talk to me about how you see that kind of project management versus project leadership dynamic playing out um, on kind of what you advise to people when, you know, as project managers, we're often leading people effectively who are um, senior to us um, how do you what are, what are some kind of tools and techniques we can use as maybe more junior people uh, to help manage these people who you know we're not their line managers but in this matrix organization we're, we're leading them which we're, we're trying to cast a vision get people there uh, what are what are some things that we can do to to help uh, get buy-in from the team you we can ask them this is not all about us doing things. It's not about us setting a schedule. It's not about us, you know, identifying risks all by ourselves. You need to ask the people on your team. You have a whole team of people. I start out right away with the risk stuff. What are you worried about? I don't say what are the risks because that just makes people. It's too project management here, right? It's, but, but I say, what are you worried about? With this project and we start to get risks together for example so i do things with my whole team and i figure out what each person everybody's good at something your intern is good at stuff right they may not be good at some as good at some of the technical stuff but they're going to be good at something else i work really hard to try to figure out what each person is good at and publicize that on the team you know if you have to put together a slide deck here's the person who can absolutely help you do that. You got a Java question, here's the person who's the expert. And actually, a lot of times I'll put that up on an intranet page. Here's here's the expert. So that helps with the everybody's important. Um, it's away from, you know, I think I have all the answers and more about, uh, I'm going to get us to the answers. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm going to I'm going to be really pushy and sometimes I'm going to be the, I'm going to be mom, right? Sometimes it's going to be no, we just have to do it. I don't have a good answer for it. But if I had a good answer, I'd give it to you, but I don't. So, you know, we just have to do it. Management four levels up says do it, we're going to do it. Um and I'm honest about those kinds of things. I mean, I'm not so transparent. I don't badmouth my management, but if I can't affect something that I know my team doesn't like, I tell them I can't. You know, and I don't know that my boss can affect it, right? It's coming from somewhere. And and I have tools that I give my the project managers I coach, like if how to how to disagree with your boss with without making it a career limiting move. Um and so I use all of those tools and make sure my team knows that I'm using them and I'm on their side and we're all trying to get the project out the door. So um leadership is not necess- is not telling people what to do. Right. It's it's telling people in some ways it's showing people how to feel and how to act. Right. So that's why we never get to show that we're panicking. That's it's right. The duck. We're calm on the surface. If we panic, everyone on the team is going to decide it's time to panic. So so 
we want to be in a position for where people look to us for information and give us information, but also look look to us for that mood ring thing. What should I be caring about now? Right? Are we going to push on the schedule? Okay. Um, you're you're telling me I trust you, and you know now you're going to ask me how we can fix this and give me some suggestions, and and we're going to work as a team. So. I see myself as project manager as part of the team, not not outside of the team, not, I mean, I have a role that, that has a lot of directing in it, but I am still part of the team. Yeah. Now, I, I want to kind of loop back to one of the things that we started, um, one of the comments I think you started with, uh, which was all about, you know, why can't people just do what um, I asked them to do? And in the book, you talk about, that's because, you know, their understanding of their job is not necessarily the same as my understanding of their job. We have these different perspectives on what someone's job is and their priorities, therefore, are not the same as my priorities. So there's kind of misalignment there. Um, I just want to kind of tactically touch on how do you make your priorities their priorities? <laughs> I mean, we've talked about communication, but often, in, you know, and we're talking about this you know, sometimes there's just not a, a particularly good reason. Um, it's it's just that we we've been told to do it. We have to do it. You know, the client wants it, the stakeholders want it, management say it. Um, but people, you know, as you know, self-interested people yeah. often have their own priorities. So, what are some of the things that we can do as project managers to help people shift their priorities to be the priorities that we? that we want them to be so that we can get a project out the door? Um, that's, it's a really good question. I think a lot of it ties into understanding them and what motivates them. And so getting them in, in the course of what you need them to do, getting them some of what motivates them. Um, even if your project, if you're, you're worried that there's a little bit of schedule risk and letting someone try something new, someone you know work in a, a piece of technology that they haven't worked in before, even though you have an expert on a team, um, if you give a little like that, then you get a lot back because because you've given in to their, their personal priorities. But I also talk to people about what else are you doing? Because a lot of times I find managers give people all kinds of assignments that I don't know about. And if I give them a chance to tell me that, you know, I'm doing this rush job for this this person, then I can adjust my schedule or go talk to the person <clears throat> that gave them the rush job and, and talk about priorities, right? Is that more important than, than this project schedule? If it is, that's good. Send me an email. <laughs> you know, I want it in writing. <laughs> but but actually, that, that's where the relationship comes into to play a lot is them trusting you enough for, you know, when you say, what else are you working on? Um, you know, what's what's keeping you from doing this is another good question, because sometimes it's not other work. Sometimes sometimes they don't have what they need to do it. Sometimes the requirements aren't clear. Sometimes they need some help with, edu you know, some education, a, a class, training, uh, mentorship, something that keeps them from doing it. And my opening um, salvo for this is often to use confidence factor, which is another really simple tool that I find works exceedingly well. And that is asking people, for example, for a, for a task schedule, this estimate, how confident are you that this estimate is right? Tell me between zero and 100%. Because people don't like to say, I can't do that. I don't have enough information. But they will say, I, I think I'm, I'm about 20% confident. And then you know there's a problem, right? It's like, okay, 
why you know what makes it not confident and what makes it not not work for you um and what can i do to to drive that confidence level up that helps you in contingency planning too right if you you get people with low confidence and things you can't fix like unclear requirements that no one you know that you're not able to get clarity on but um in general that's another really good tool is confidence factor because no one has to say i can't do that or you know someone else estimated that and i'm not as good as they are or whatever they can just tell you that they're not really confident that that's going to happen so that's great. just another tool yeah that that's super handy so for someone who's kind of been half listening to this <laughs> and uh thinking about okay well let's take it right back to the beginning i you know i've been trying to develop my emotional intelligence i'm trying to develop my soft skills as a project manager um now i'm i you know i want to develop my social intelligence we've been talking a lot about communication and um kind of engaging ourselves with the team understanding uh being a facilitator opening up the communication channels uh but what would you for someone who's new to uh, thinking through this uh, maybe feeling a bit apprehensive about, okay, I suddenly have to talk to all these people. Um, what's one bit of advice that you would give someone who wants to improve their social intelligence skills? Um, what's one kind of easy first step to becoming more socially intelligent? Um, an easy first step, once, once you understand the learning styles, because there are only five of them, an easy first step is just make a list of who's on your team and when they pay attention to you. Do they read your emails? Do they, they pick up the phone the first time? You know, if you send them a lot of word and not do it, put it aside. Um, do they need pictures? Uh, that would be my, that's usually my first step is, you know, how do I even start communicating with them? How do I do this team building if I don't know an information? Why? You know, how they want to take, how am I going to get them to be okay spending time with me and pay attention to what I'm sending to them? So that's absolutely the first step is getting them, you know, getting on the same wavelength as them. And I think it's a pretty easy thing to do. You can, you can observe really quickly. I think that's such a great, simple first step. Just get to know your team, observe, make sure that uh, you're, you are understanding how, uh, what, what's working and what's not working and being honest with yourself about evaluating uh, where you're at and I think often the temptation can be to as a project manager think it's everyone else's responsibility uh, to decode your messaging um, when actually as a project manager I think we have a massive responsibility to make sure that we are understood and make sure that uh, we're also understanding correctly as well so thinking about optimizing that I think is a, is a great first step and a, and a great way to start so Kim thank you so much uh, for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, I'd love to know what you who are watching and listening uh, think of this as well. I'd love to know what are your hacks, tips and tricks uh, for social intelligence. What do you find works to build really successful, high-performing teams? How have you, what techniques have you used uh, to get your team engaged in the project, to get your team uh, on the right track, uh, communicating effectively with one another and, uh, and getting them performing well? I'd love to know. Let us know in the comments below. I'd also love to know your fail stories of project failure um, and success as well. What's, what was the cause of the failure and, and why did they succeed? Let us know. And if you want to learn more and get ahead in your work, come and join our tribe with DPM membership, head to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash membership. You'll get access to our forum, workshops, templates, 
AMA sessions, office hours, and more. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and stay in touch on the digitalprojectmanager.com. But until next time, thank you so much for watching and listening. Take care.